Good morning, church family. Good to see you out there. We're going to start worship. You stand to your feet. Let's pray real quick as we just invite the Lord into this place. God, we thank you for this day that you've given us. You said, let us be glad to come into your house, celebrate you, praise your name, Father. So we just want to lift you up today with song. God, we just know that you are here. You said you will be here when two or three are gathered in my name. So we thank you for that today. We thank you for bringing your people in today. And I pray, Lord, that hearts would be uh, touched. Lord, that brokenness, Lord, would be healed. That in mourning, Lord, we will find joy because you are our strength. It's in your name we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. surrounds me Just one word The darkness has to reach you Just one touch I feel the presence of heaven Just one touch My eyes were open to see My heart can't help but
Caitlin Blankenship, and she would like to give a testimony before she's baptized. If you would please repeat after me, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the Living God, and I accept Him as my personal Lord and Savior. In obedience to the command of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, upon your profession of faith in Him, your Father and will will now baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. For the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Spirit. That's what it's all about right there, guys. So, hi, my name is Dennis Stubb. I'm the executive minister here. I want to welcome you and those that are watching online today. A reminder, after I pray, we have the offering boxes around and the communion stations. Uh, and it's double cups, so the, the bread's in the cup underneath with the juice on top. 
so I grew up uh, a little bit north of Baltimore uh, in Maryland. So I'm a big uh, Baltimore Orioles fan. So um, we won the World Series when I was in middle school, and we've been rebuilding ever since, right? So... Um, a lot of rebuilding years in that time. So if you're a Cincinnati Reds fan, I think you probably, you know, have that same concept um, of a lot of rebuilding. But there was some good times, right? And there's always hope, right? There was always hope. So, like I said, I'm still a big fan. Like, this year, we're 500. We've normally been mathematically eliminated by the time the All-Star break gets here, right? So to be 500, kind of excited about that. But I have the notifications on my phone. So, like, in previous years... You know, like I'd hear a little ding and I'd look and like, ah, you're down one nothing, down two nothing, down five nothing, down eight nothing, right? You know, that kind of thing. And my wife's like, what in the world are you doing? I'm like, I'm a fan, right? Like, I gotta care, right? And, you know, then I was reading Psalms and, and David uh, was talking. He's like, hey, if God is for me, you know, who can be against me? Who will I fear? Right? And like, not that I'm in any way trying to put God in a cheerleader costume for you. But God is for you. God is your fan. Through the good years and through the rebuilding years, God is for you, not against you. And he wants the best for you. He wants it so much that he sent his own son down to die for you so that you can spend life in heaven with him. That's his love. That's how much he is for each and every one of you. Even if you're going through some rebuilding times. Let's pray. Dear Father, we just thank you for this day. I just thank you for the chance to worship you. You are awesome. You are holy. And I just thank you that you are with us. We don't need to fear because you are by our side and you are for us, Lord. And you love us so much that you sent Christ down. What more could you have done for us? Help us to honor you and glorify you in everything we do. Amen.
Well, good morning. How are you guys doing today? Good? Everybody good? You look good? You sound good? Good hot July day coming for us, right? Another one of those? Yay! Right? So, hey, it's good to see you guys here this morning. We are in the middle of a series on the book of James. So we're going to be in James chapter 3 today. So if you got your Bibles, go ahead and get there. James chapter 3. If you use a tablet or a phone, go ahead and grab those. Get there. We're going to be in James chapter 3 today. It's a short chapter in this letter, only about 18 verses. So we're going to walk through it this morning. It's two chunks. We're going to look at those two chunks and then we'll be done, okay? Uh, we've been, uh, like I said, looking at this, this letter that James wrote. He's the brother of Jesus. And he wrote it to the church. The church in Jerusalem in the first century, it's one of the earliest, if not the earliest, a lot of theologians and historians think it's the earliest New Testament document that we have. And so this is like the very beginning of Christianity and the church. James was an early leader uh, in the church in Jerusalem, and he writes it to the church after they've kind of been pushed out of Jerusalem because of persecution and a lot of stuff going on there with Christians. And so they're out in other places. So he writes them this letter to encourage them, to equip them, to teach them, to say, hey, keep going in the faith. Hey, here's some things you may need to think about. Here's some corrections you need to make. Here's some ways to, to live and not live and those kind of things. And so it's very practical, but it's also very profound. And it's great for us because even though it was something that Dutch Christians in the first century would find very helpful, we today in 2022 can use every single word that Jesus' brother wrote down in this letter because it's, it's good stuff. And so we're walking through every verse of it this summer. Uh, and, and so if you've been here for the last two weeks, you're caught up with, with uh, the third chapter. If not, I would encourage you to go back and, and watch uh, week one where we did chapter one. And obviously week two where we did two. And well, next week we'll do four. And then the fifth chapter, the five chapters, the fifth chapter will be out at the park. On August the 7th, Dave will be closing out this series out there on that day. So just a reminder, uh, we'll be in here next week, but then the next Sunday we'll be out at Clear Creek Park for one service, 1030. We'll have worship, we'll have a potluck, and then we'll have a golf scramble if you're interested in that. So we'll talk more about that at the end of the service day, but I just want to remind you about how the next couple of weeks are going to go. All right? So in, in chapter 2, what we talked about last week was that James hammers home this idea that, that your works, that your actions, that the things that we do, those things don't save us. What saves us is Jesus alone. But because of Jesus, in light of what he's done for us as Christians, we should act. We are called to act. We're called to do good things in his name. That's what James talked about a lot in chapter two last week. This week, here's what he's going to address. Two very specific things that are really important. He's going to talk about our words, the way we use our tongue, Right? And he's going to talk about true wisdom versus false wisdom. He's going to compare this, the worldly wisdom, the things that the world will say, hey, this is, this is the way you should go. This, this is the way you should think. This is the path you should take versus what God has for us. And he's going to compare in contrast to those two things. So it's a pretty simple, like I said, short chapter. And we're going to just read through it. Is it okay with you guys today if we just read from God's word and just kind of see where that takes us? That's kind of how I like to, I don't know if you've noticed, but that's just kind of how I like to approach this thing that we're doing today, right? This, this sermon part of our worship service. Let's just read God's word and let's just see where it takes us. 
Let's just see what it has for us, what it can do for you today, because chances are there's something that it's going to, there are going to be a lot of words on the screen and we're going to read, but there's something. It may just be a little nugget. It may just be a, a word. It may just be a phrase, but there is something that God has for you today in his word. And so let's read it. All right. Chapter three, verse one. Here's what James says. He says, dear brothers and sisters, right? Last week, remember we talked about James establishes the idea that we are a church family. And he, he's the one that uses this phrase first in the New Testament, brothers and sisters, that we are all brothers and sisters in Christ. We are part of the church. We are part of God's family. He says, hey, brothers and sisters, dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church. For we who teach will be judged more strictly. Indeed, we, we all make many mistakes. Yes, we do. We all know that. For if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could control, also control ourselves in every other way. So first in the first couple of verses, James says, hey, if you're going to teach, if you're going to stand up in front of the church and you're going to teach, you, you need to take that and, and kind of take a double measure of like, are, am, I, am I prepared to do this? Because James says, if you do that, if you teach a, a life group, a Sunday school class on the stage, like if you stand up in front of people and you teach them the word of God, if you're standing in front of a group of people saying, this is what the Lord says, right? James says, you, you, when, when it's time for judgment, you're going to be judged more harshly. Now, let me just tell you, when I read verses like this in Scripture, I'm like, yeah, yeah, thanks for that, James, right? Like, okay, so so it makes, you know, it's like, okay, it is, I don't, I never, Jay does it, Bobby, none of us ever, man, I, God, let not one word that is said from this platform be a word that you wouldn't have us speak, right? That's not your truth. Because when you look at verses like this, it's like, okay, man, this is, this is serious stuff. So James begins there. He says, your, your words are powerful. All verbal activity is, is potentially dangerous. And so teachers should choose their words wisely. He also is going to say in this part of this letter that, that words matter and they can change how we view things. Look at the next verse. In verse three, he says this. We, we can make a large horse go wherever we want. By means of a small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go. Even though the the winds are strong, in the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches. But a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It's a whole world of wickedness, corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire for it itself, uh, for it is set on fire by hell itself, right? This, this incredible imagery that James uses here about our tongues. Have you guys, has anybody, uh, raise your hand if you've ever said anything that's gotten you in trouble? <laughs> right? I was, yesterday we were at Ready Fest. 
uh, last couple of days we were at Ready Fest, and there's one of the teacher or one of the, the Friskies, family resource ladies. Uh, she's pregnant, and I knew she was pregnant, right? Somebody had already told me that she was pregnant, she was having a baby, but but I never assume a lady's pregnant, even if she's nine months pregnant, right? I never even like assume that. I've never never made that mistake. A lot of mistakes, but I've never made that. But I was thinking yesterday, I was in, I was telling her because we were kind of joking about it, and I said, you know, I was in a in a, a circle one time, standing in a circle talking to some people, and someone said to, to a lady standing there, hey, so when's your baby do? She goes, I'm pregnant. So you know what I do? I just walk right out of that conversation, right? I'm like, okay, that just got up, right? You know, have you ever, like, you said something and you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I said that. Uh, you know, or you're like, you said something. Have you ever said something and you're having this conversation with just one other person and maybe it's a little heated, maybe it's just like a, this, this thing and, and you say something and you know as soon as you say it, like you can see the reaction on their face. And you've, you've really hurt them. You ever had a, had a situation like that where you say something and you're like, oh, I didn't, I didn't necessarily mean it that, I didn't mean that or I shouldn't have said that, but, but you say things and you can just, their, their, their countenance just changes because your words are powerful. And so that's what, what James says here. The first truth I want you guys to, to understand and remember this morning is, is this. Your words are powerful and you can speak in a way that either spreads light or darkness. The great thing is, we can't control a lot of things in this world, but James says the thing, one of the things that we can control is our tongues. And so what you say and how you say it matters. Your, your words and, and your tone. This is something, it, it, I, I didn't know this for a long time until I got married. All right. And, and my wife shared this with me. I didn't know that my tone mattered. Right. And she was like, we had this conversation early on and I, and I don't say this like this is even like this was good for me because I've tried to be better at this over the years. But but I, I, I said something. And it was like and, I, and the conversation was, well, I, you know, that's what I said. You know, and she would say, you know, I said what I said was the truth or what I said. That's, you know, that's right or whatever. And this kind of thing. So we're having this conversation. And she said, well, it's not what you said. Or it's it's how you say it. And I'm like, oh, that matters, <laughs> you know? So if you're young, like if you're young and dating or just getting ready to get married, like it, your tone matters. The way, you know, not just what you say, but because I'm kind of a black and white kind of guy, right? Like things are black. Like I just, I would say something. It's like a matter of fact, let's move on, whatever. It's like, no, it's not what you said, but it's how you say it. And so, so what James is saying here is that your, your, your tongue, your, the words you use, <clears throat> the way you use them, <clears throat> excuse me are powerful. Look at this proverb. I love proverbs because it's, it's full of all these just little one-liners. They're kind of tweetable one-liners and they're just nuggets of wisdom because the whole book is just a full of, of wisdom. Uh, listen to this proverb. Proverbs 18.21 says this, The tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. Right? It, people that love to talk a lot... If you talk a lot, like you're going to say a lot of good things, but there's a lot of room there to say things that are going to trip you up and, and there are going to be a lot of consequences. I've, I've, I've read studies. I meant to do a little bit more in, uh, about in that this week, but I didn't get to, um, that, you know, like the, the men and women, like there's, there's a word count that we have 
for the day. And like men's is like a third of what women's are. Right. And so like, and I'm kind of like this, like, am I, Melinda knows, like if, if I get to the end of the day and I've kind of reached my word count, like I'm done talking for the day. Right. Like I'm just done. Like I've used my words up today. I just want to sit there and, and, and watch a show. Right. I don't want to like, I, I'm done. I'm done talking. I'm not mad. I'm not upset. I just worn out. You know, I don't want to talk. Don't want to talk anymore. Love you, honey, but I don't want to talk. Right? Well, well, that's that's one of those like odd things that that God made us different, men and women different, right? Because women, like, they have a lot more words. They're they're a lot smarter than us guys, and you guys are wired a lot different than we are. And so you have a lot more words that you want to use in a day. And it's not a critique; it's just the difference between men and women. And so I, I was thinking about that this week. You know, the difference that we have. But when we when our tongue brings, it can bring it can bring death or it can bring life. The Bible says, you know, it may seem dramatic when you read something like this and say, man, our tongue has the power of, of life and death in our speech. But but scripture constantly warns us about the power of our words. Think about it. You can speak words that that heal. Or or that hurt, like we were talking about, you, you can speak words that are helpful, that are hopeful or words that are hateful. You can speak words that, that build others up. Or that tear them down. We can speak words that embody Christ or boast in self and belittle others. The beauty of this is we get to decide. We get to choose what words we use. James says our words can be a blessing or a curse. Choose them carefully. Look at verse 7. He says, people can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish. But no one can tame the tongue. It's restless and evil, full of deadly poison. If you haven't figured out yet, James is pretty serious about our tongues, right? Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who... Encircle this, underline this, highlight this. This is an important verse. It curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessings and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. James says, surely, my brothers and sisters, that's not right. How can that be? That should not be. Does a spring of water bubble out both fresh water and bitter water? Does a a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No. And you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. And so James strings together here, right, a series of metaphors to bring home the reality of how powerful words can be. He compares the tongue to a, a horse's bit, to a ship's rudder, to, to fires, uh, fire spark, to deadly poison, to this salty pond. It's powerful and it can do much damage, James says. You guys have seen, and I think it's been even in the news here recently, you know, just a, a small flame, a, a cigarette butt or an ember from a fire, a campfire that wasn't put out correctly, right, can cause this massive, right, this massive wildfire that they can just, can destroy, you know, hundreds and thousands of acres of the forest. And it all comes, right? What's it come from? Just one little spark. Just one little thing that's just out there and then just, just blows up in your face. And James says, that's what the, the tongue's like. That your tongue is, it's small and it may seem in, insignificant in the grand scheme of your whole body, right? But it is so powerful. And the way you use it matters. And so James gives us these instructions. It only takes a second, right, to speak a hateful word that could destroy a fragile heart. It only say, you know, it only takes one word or one phrase, right? And you say it, and as soon as you said it, you, you know, 
oh, I shouldn't have said that. That was mean. That was hurtful. That's really going to hurt that person. And, and, and you want it to come back in, right? You, I wish I could bring that back. Have you ever said something? You're like, I wish I could take, I wish I'd never said that. Anybody ever said, ever thought that? Oh, I wish I'd never said that. I, I probably happens to me two or three times a day, right? I wish I hadn't said that. I wish I hadn't, you know, but we do that. And James says, be careful. Here, here's another, another truth. A wound by word is no less painful when it's inflicted unintentionally. Oh, I didn't mean to. I really didn't mean to say that. It was not my intention to do that. And so James says, be careful with your words. Remember, earlier he says, you need to be slow to speak. His teaching earlier in this letter, be slow to speak, right? Think before you speak. Be slow to to get angry. It, It fits right in here with what he's talking about today. In other words, what drives your mouth what James will say here is, is the thing that drives your mouth is your heart. J, uh, Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 12, verse 34. He said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks. So a lot of times the things that come out of our mouth, where did they originate? They originated in our hearts. Like a lot of times you say something and you're like, well, I don't, I didn't know I really believed that or thought that, or I didn't know it was that strong of a feeling or, or a concept in my mind, or, but it's like, it's in your heart, right? And it comes out of your mouth and, and then it's there. And Jesus said, from the abundance of your heart, the mouth speaks. And so the problem is not only the words we use, but the heart that produces. And that's what's really at the core of what James is talking about today in chapter 3. So our speech is a heart issue. That's why our words are so powerful. Our, your words tell other people what you believe about yourself. Your words tell other people what you believe about them. And how much you either love them or don't. Right? If you, if you hate them or can't stand them or don't want to be around them, your words... Right? Your words are going to display that. What's in your heart is going to come out in your speech, James says. The Apostle Paul had this warning for our words. He says, don't, in in Ephesians chapter 4, he said, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. You imagine if every Christian said, you know what, I want everything that I say to be good and helpful. And if it's not, I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. There are things in, there are things in society in our world that we can debate and say, well, Scripture doesn't, doesn't necessarily address that. So we can, there's some ambiguity. There's some like, we can have different opinions about certain things like, all right, well, Jesus never really said this or this. And the Bible really doesn't specifically address this issue. There, there's a lot, a list of those that we could come up with and we could probably debate and argue back and forth in society. But here's the deal. This that we're talking about today, The way you use your mouth, your tongue, your words, it could not be more clear in Scripture. There are a lot of things that aren't spelled out, like A, B, C, D. This is one of those things that you cannot leave here today. We cannot leave, we cannot read God's Word and go, oh, yeah, he doesn't really. No, it is very well spelled out for us in Scripture. James talks about it. Paul talks about it. Jesus talked about it. 
And so when James talks about, um, in verse 9, he goes back and he talks about cursing. He talks about um, this thing where we, we curse people who are in the image of God. Here's what I want to kind of just stop and talk to you guys about a sec, for a second. He's not addressing um, profanity. That, that's not what, yes, profanity is rude and inappropriate. But what James is speaking about here is something even more serious. Look back at verse 9. Here's what he says. Sometimes your tongue, it praises our Lord and Father. And sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. You see, cursing is this, James is talking about here, is this verbal attack on someone. It's this hatred in our hearts that comes forward. It's an attack towards people who James says bears the image of God the Father. And so what he's saying here is that when you curse someone, when you are, when you use your words to, to, to attack someone, as a Christian, what you need to understand is that you are attacking someone who else who is in the image of God, another brother or sister, a child of God. And so God takes that very serious is when you attack someone that's made him you what, what James is saying is you are attacking God. Right? When you use these words and you use this, and this is the way you, you conduct yourself with other people, James says this is very serious. He's gonna, in a minute, he's gonna call it demonic. And so the sin that James is addressing here is, it's not just a rude, a rude word, but it's hatred for another human being who's created in the likeness of God. It's far more serious than just saying, quote unquote, a bad word. Yes, those are crude and, 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 and not right, but it's even, it's more serious than that. And that's what James is addressing here. In Ephesians 5, James would go, or, Paul would go on to say this, cursing, crudeness, those things deny the likeness of human beings. He said this in, in uh, verse uh, chapter 5. He said, obscene stories, foolish talk, coarse joking. These are not for you. The Bible says, if you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Christ, you need to put away obscenity and foolish talk and those kind of things. That is not for those of us who follow Christ. Now, can I tell you, this is hard. Right? In society today, this is hard. This is, this is hard for me. I'll just, like, there, you know, sometimes somebody will say something, you're like, that's just funny. And then you're like, oh man, that's probably over the line, right? I fall into that trap all the time. Like, oh, that, you know, that, that was probably a little too much there, right? And it's like, I go back to verses like this to go, yeah, this is exactly what God's Word teaches us. If it's obscene, if it's foolish, if it's a coarse joke, Paul says, James says, those aren't for you. Instead, be thankful to God. Use your words in a different way. And so for us, when you use your tongue, is it building other people up? Is it good? And is it helpful? And does it provide hope? Or is it a destructive thing that destroys like a wildfire that just scorches the earth around you? Your tongue's powerful. I've, I've noticed over, over the years in, in being a father, right? That if we will encourage our kids, if we will build them up, if we will say, hey, I believe in you, buddy. I know you can do this, right? If we give them words that are affirming and that are helpful and that are hopeful, they accomplish things that, that are almost beyond, like, I didn't, I didn't know they could do that. 
But it was because we give them this confidence with our words. Maybe some of you have had parents that did the exact opposite, right? They belittled you and put you down and talked bad about you and said you were worth nothing, right? And maybe you carried that with you. They thought they were trying to inspire you, right? Or encourage you like in this weird way by, by, by saying negative things to you. But you took it internally and you carried that with you through life. And maybe you still carry that today. Maybe you were raised by a hard man or a hard woman that used their words in a very, very just horrible way, very destructive way. And you know, you know what words can do. But now you found Christ and you realize that your words are powerful and they can be used in a way that builds people up, that redeems them, that shows them the love of Christ. And that's what James is saying here to this early church. It's like, when you guys get together and talk, be really careful. Be, re- be reminded about your words and how you use them because they're powerful. And they can make a great difference, either for good or for evil. And, and then here's what James says in the last part of, of this chapter, in verse 13. He goes on, he says, If you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life. Doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you are bitterly jealous and therefore, uh, and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It's also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It's full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and it's always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. Now there's a lot. <laughs> there is a lot in this, this last part of chapter three. There's a lot in this passage that we, we could, we could, you could almost do a whole series on, on this part of this, this letter. But I want you to just understand a, a few things here in this passage. Here's what James is addressing. He's talking about false wisdom, worldly wisdom versus true wisdom versus the, the wisdom that says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna listen to the Lord. I'm gonna, I'm gonna listen to God's word. I'm gonna follow God's word as, as, as much as it is, my, is in my power. I'm going to try to understand what God has for me and the way to live. And I'm going to live that way. That's truth. Truth in God's word versus what the world offers. So here's what false wisdom says. False wisdom says this. My life is about me. My, my happiness matters most. Most Like false wisdom says this is all like it's, it's all about what I want and what I desire. And so it's going to be all about my life. I'm going to make the rules. I'm going to call the shots. This is about me. False wisdom says this. There is no absolute objective standard by which I must live. False wisdom says there's no standard. There's no truth. Doesn't matter. You do you. I'll do me. You, you decide what your truth is. I'll decide what my truth is. You've heard, you heard that recently? Like you, you get to decide what your truth is. That's what the world says is wisdom. That's what James says is false wisdom. It also says that everyone has the, their own right to their own preferences and their own opinions and their own ways. It says, false wisdom says, I know. I know what will make me happy. And so I should just 
get to choose whatever it is. If it makes you happy, do it. If it's going to make me happy, I'm going to do it. Now, some of you have figured this out. You're a little bit, you're, you're seasoned, let's just say, in life, right? You've been down the path a little bit farther. And what you know is that there have been times in your life where you've chosen what you wanted and you got to the end of that choice and you realized it was the bad, it was the wrong choice. If I would have just listened to God's word or listened to someone else, if I would have chosen a different option here over the one that I wanted to choose, Hey, this would have turned out so much better for me, right? You, hindsight, like that, you're looking back at that, right? And so what James is saying here is that there's this false wisdom that the world portrays. The, these statements, that this summarizes the prevailing philosophy in today's culture to a T. If, if, if you look around, you, you got to sense this, you see it. This is what the world tells us today. You're your own God. You get to make your own choices, call your own shots. You, like, you do you. That's what, that's what the world says. James says that's, that's false wisdom. Let, let's think about this for a second. There, there are almost 8 billion people on this planet. 8 billion people can't all be right. 8 billion people cannot do whatever 8 billion people want to do. 8 billion people can't all decide that they have their own personal path, Right? To happiness. Eight billion people can't be the center of the universe. It's impossible. If, if, if that were the case, it would be chaos. Think about it maybe smaller terms. Imagine today if we left here, like if we got a, a, a ding on our phone that said 12 o'clock said, hey, um, officials, local officials, state officials, federal officials have said, have decided that there are no longer any traffic Laws. No more rules on the road. No more speed limits. No more stop signs. No more stoplights. You don't even have to go on the road. If you want to go off road into the grass, over the hill, into the woods, you go. There, when you guys leave here today, there's no rules. There's no standard. You do whatever you want to do when you get out of this parking lot. I'm like, I'm going to sit in my office and wait until y'all are all gone. Right? Because there's going to be wrecks everywhere. There's going to be head-ons everywhere. Like, there's going to be people going, like, you just go, go do whatever you want to do. There's no in and out. You don't worry about that. Whatever the, the speed, what is this? I don't even know what the speed limit is on 60 here because I never obey it. Right? But like, <laughs> see? I'm not perfect. So, it's like, you know, whatever it is. If it's 45, it's probably, it's probably should be about 45. But like 55, you know, go, go 90. Go 100. You go do, you don't, hey, don't you have to drive on the right side of the road? If you want to drive on the left, drive on the left. Right? If, if we did that, chaos. My point is, there has to be a standard of truth. Or there would be chaos. And because God knows all, he said there is a standard of truth. And when you don't follow it, guess what you're going to get? You're going to get chaos. False wisdom is rooted in sin and pride and selfishness. False wisdom whispers this. Surely there must be something better than what God has designed. And so James says that false wisdom will result in destruction. Here it is right here. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, I'm going to do what I want to do. And I don't care what anybody else says or thinks. There you will find disorder and evil 
of every kind. And so James says living outside of God's design is demonic at its core. He's pretty, I mean, like James, James is the dude, man. He goes for it. It's demonic. Ultimately, life is about God. And true happiness is found in trusting him and living according to his design. And so it all comes down to this question. We're going to go on for a couple more minutes. But it all goes down to this question. Do you believe that God's good? Do you believe he's good? If you believe that God is good, right? Then you're going to, that's going to um, cause a lot of other things, that, this ripple effect in your life. All right, if I, if I believe he's good, I'm going to start to trust him more. I'm going to trust that he has my best interest at heart. That he has a design and a plan for this world and for life, right? That he cares about us. And so if you believe that God is good, things are going to change in your life. And so true wisdom, right, is built on some key uh, biblical principles. Here's what Proverbs 14, 12 says. It says this, there's a path before each person that seems right, but it ends in death. Right? Have you ever, have you ever been there? Have you ever been like, you're there and there's like, there's a fork in the road. You can go right. And it's probably like, all right, God, this is probably what, you know, this is what your parents would want you to do. This is the, the, the choice they'd want you to take. This is the choice your youth minister wants you to take. This is the choice that God would say, yeah, take that one. Go right. Go right. Right? But you're like, no, I'm going to go left. Left looks fun. The left is where my friends are. Left is like where everything's kind of hanging out. I want, I want to go left. And you're like, all right, where do I go? Do I go right or left? Sometimes you go left and you're like, oh, you get to that end of that road. You're like, oh, I'm an idiot. Should have went right, right? It ends in destruction. It ends in death. God's word says that. There's a path before us. It seems right. It seemed like, oh, that, that seemed like the thing to do. False wisdom. It, it's false wisdom. Here's true wisdom. True wisdom is built on these biblical ideas. That God is good. Right? That God is good. That we aren't. That the world isn't. But that God is. That God loves us. It's simple. Like, this is simple stuff. But if you, if you believe God is good, right? And you believe God loves us. Okay, check, check. If you believe that God is the creator of all things, seen and unseen. Right? That, that God is the one. He knows the past. He, he knows what we're dealing with now in the present. And he has the perspective to know the future. Now, we have a little perspective on the past. We can remember the past, at least in our lives. We obviously can look around and see a perspective of what's going on right now. We have no idea what the future will bring, but God does. And so when he looks at our lives, he says, I see. It's like you're, you're carrying around like one little piece of a puzzle. Like you have a piece. And God's over and he's like, he's got the, the, the cover. He's got the top of the box with the whole picture, right? And he knows, like, he knows what the, the ultimate, the end result is. He knows what this is going to look like in the end. We're just walking around with this one little puzzle piece going, where does this fit? Where does this fit? We have no idea. That's all we've got is this one little piece. I don't know where this goes, but I got one little piece. It's today, right? And God's going, I see it all. I have this perspective. I'm all knowing. And so if God is good, if he loves us, if he's the creator of all things seen and unseen, if God is, is all-knowing, which means he knows what's best for us, right? When we think we do, but we say, you know what? Sometimes that's, that's false wisdom. That's the wisdom of this world. I've been listening too much to other people and other things. God, you're all-knowing, right? And you know what's best for me, even when I don't. 
And then the last one there, God has designed the world to work a specific way. He's the designer. He's the creator. He's the one that put it all together. So when, when, if he's the one that did all of that, he knows how it works best, right? He created the instructions, right? He wrote the instructions. He created us. And so when we step back and go, true wisdom is that, and false wisdom is the wisdom that this world presents to us, we get to make a choice. James says that true wisdom is inseparable from from good works and from good conduct. Look at verse 13 again. He says, if you are wise and you understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. And so your actions reveal what you truly believe. Just as your words are the fruit born from whatever is rooted deep in your heart. Look back at verse 17. He says this, But the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It's also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It's full of mercy and fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism, and it is always sincere. I want you to look, think about the characteristics in that verse for a second. These are all very tangible, measurable, concrete, practical things in our, in our lives. Right? Think about this for a second. A pure, a person that's, that's pure, actions are pure. You, you can, you can see that. You can decipher that. You can, you can measure that in somebody's life. Are they pure? Are, 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 there, are their actions pure? Someone who's peaceable, who loves peace. That's measurable. Right? You know people, like, like, are they peaceable people? Do they love peace? Or are they always looking for drama and angst? Right? And people, like, they, they love it when people are at one another. Right? Is someone gentle? You can measure that. Open to reason. Full of mercy, impartial, and sincere. James says these are, these are things that you can look at, and you can look at in your life, and you can look at other, is this fruit being produced inside of us? Is this the wisdom that, that is there that God wants for, from us and for us in the way that we live our lives? I want to conclude with, with this one last illustration. This is an illustration from Jesus. James loves to use imagery in his writings uh, to kind of help us illustrate true wisdom. And Jesus did the same thing in his teaching. He gives this famous, it's famous um, parable. He says, and it's in Matthew chapter 7. He says, and I'll read it right here. It says, uh, anyone who is listening to my teachings and follow is like a wise man. Like a wise person, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. You guys remember this? You probably remember this from, from long. Though the rains come in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it was built on what? It was built on, on bedrock, Jesus said. It was built on a solid foundation. But he says, but anyone who hears my teachings doesn't obey them and doesn't listen to them, it's, it's foolishness. It's like a, a person who builds a house on sand. And when the rains come, when the floods come, what happens? The wind beats, beats against that house and it's washed away. It's collapsed with a mighty crash, right? And so what, what Jesus said was that you're going to get the opportunity to build your house. You can build it on the foolish sand of this world, or you can build it on a bedrock foundation that is my truth. But you get to choose two homes that maybe live in the, that are in the same neighborhood. They may look like the same from the outside, but it's what's inside. It's what's at the core. It's what's in the foundation, Jesus says, that matters. And so we get to make that decision. You get to choose. 
Am I going to pursue the false wisdom of this world that says, say whatever you want to say, do whatever you want to do, act in whatever way you want to act, drive however you want to drive, live however you want to live, right? That, That leads to chaos and destruction. And James says, death or... Do you want to just submit and say, Jesus, you know better. God, you you created us. You know better than me. And so I'm going to set my pride and I'm going to set my selfish ambition and I'm going to set myself to the side and I'm going to follow you. Jesus said this. Why do you keep calling me Lord? Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say. Why do you keep calling me Lord? And you don't do what I say. Proverbs 3, one last Proverbs and we'll be done. He says this, the writer of Proverbs says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't depend on your own understanding, but seek His will in all that you do. And He will show you which path to take. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Don't seek your own understanding, the Bible says. Don't lean into your own understanding because our own understanding is what? It's false. It's a trick. We think it's the right thing to do, but it's not. How many times have you leaned into your own understanding, your own way, choose, chose, taking your own path? I'm going to take this path. I'm not going to listen to you, God. I'm going to do my own thing. And you get to the end of that, right? And you're like, oh, I did it again. Why do I keep doing this? It's death and destruction. And the Bible says, don't lean into that. Lean into God. Lean into true wisdom. But here's what we get to decide. I asked you earlier. You get to decide, is God good? Does he love you? Is he a good father that loves us? That wants what's best for us? If you're a parent in this room today, you love your kids and you want what's best for them. You want the best things out there for them. And if we believe that we are children of God and he is our father and he is good, he is the good father, then we understand that he wants what's best for us. And sometimes what's best for us in his eyes is not the same thing that we think is best for us and our eyes. And so we have to make a decision. How are we going to use our words? Are they going to lift others up? Are they going to tear them down? Who are we going to listen to? The false wisdom of this world or the true wisdom of a father who loves us so much? That's what James chapter 3 is all about. Would you guys pray with me? Lord God in heaven, we thank you for today. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this letter. Thank you for the things that are in it that remind us and teach us and correct us and challenge us and just prove to us that your wisdom is is supreme. You know all. You created all and designed all. You want what's best for us. Even when we can't see it, even when we don't feel it, even when it's hard for us to understand, you're a good father. You love us. God, I thank you for every brother and sister that are in this room today that leave this place knowing that. 
they know that and they feel that and with the Holy Spirit leading them that when they leave this place that you are with them and you love them and you are good and you want what's best for them. God, I, I, I pray and I know that there's some others that are still wrestling with that truth. They're still trying to figure out which path to take. They're still trying to figure out what, who they're going to listen to, what they're going to listen to, how they're going to live the rest of their life. God, our prayer today is that you would convict them that your Holy Spirit would be a mighty rushing wind inside of them. And you would just ambush them today with your love. And they wouldn't leave this place this morning without making a decision for you. Because you are a good, good father. Would you guys stand with me? We're going to sing this song. If you want to pray with someone, if you want to talk to someone, if you have a decision you'd like to make, uh, Bobby and some other folks are going to be over at the decision room today. Uh, Let's sing. for being here today. Hey, we've got a a huge 
night coming up on August the 18th. You guys, and a lot of you know, we're starting uh, our Thursday night worship. And it's huge for the future of our church because we believe that God's going to use that night in a different way than he's ever used our church before. Because it's an option for people that may find it really hard to get here on a Sunday morning for whatever reason. And so we want to offer a Thursday night worship service for them. Here's what we've been asking. We've been asking for a, a, a team, like a core team of folks that we're calling the launch team that would say, hey, for the next, from August through the end of the year, I'll make Thursday night my night of worship uh, just to come in here and provide some energy. Like you guys are incredible worshipers, right? And you respond and you clap and you sing. And you do all. We need that from the get-go on Thursday night. So when our, when new folks come in, they're like, oh man, there are things happening at this church on Thursday night, right? And so we need about a hundred people to be here on Thursday nights from, from August to the end of the year to say, hey, I'm going to make Thursday night my night of worship. I'll come back maybe on Sunday and serve, do other things. Maybe you'll flip-flop that and serve on Thursday night and come back on and worship on Sunday. However you want to do it. But we have a, a launch team that we're trying to organize back in the back. There are cards back there. You can fill out one of those. If you say, hey, our family is going to be here on Thursday nights on August 18th and we'll be here and we'll commit to being at worship on Thursday nights to the end of the year to help get this up and going. We would love that. That would be awesome. Like if we, if we kick this thing off on August 18th and there's a couple hundred people in this room, like Dave's going to be doing backflips up here on the stage, okay? So come for that, right? It would be awesome. It would be incredible. So be a part of that. Also, I mentioned earlier the picnic out at the park on August 7th. We're going to do a worship at 1030. We'll have a potluck. We're going to provide the chicken and the drinks. If you guys can bring a side dish, we'll take care of everything else. And then there's also a golf scramble that day at 1 o'clock at Clear Creek. If you want to be a part of that, there's a sign-up sheet back there at the back table for that. Hey, guys, thanks for being here today. Let's go out of here. Let's go find a pool, right? And let's go love God and love people and change this world. See you guys.